Pardon the interruption. I just want to tell you about a video uh, that I want you to check out. It features the one and only Chuck Norris. You remember Chuck Norris? The man's in his 80s. And, uh, you know, I'm no spring chicken. Nonetheless, I care about my health. I want to live a long time. I want to, uh, want to be healthy. I don't always get as many fruits and vegetables and herbs that are supposed to increase my energy levels in my own diet. So I saw this video that Chuck Norris has made. He's kicking butt. He's uh, working out. He's staying active. He has heaps of energy left over for his grandkids and so on. And he says that he, he is achieving all this by making one single change. And he feels like he's in his 50s. Go to mymorningkick.com slash Josh and watch Chuck Norris's video right now. That's mymorningkick.com slash Josh, M-Y-M-O-R-N-I-N-G-K-I-C-K.com slash Josh. G'day, this is an abridged version of the episode that you can hear in full by signing up at uncomfortableconversations.substack.com slash subscribe. Enjoy the freebie. I had breakfast yesterday at a fancy place, and there and it was a dollop of scrambled eggs, some sad bacon, uh, a pretty juicy, fatty little sausage, and a large thing of sourdough. And until you actually really know what what calories there are in things, everyone just thinks that the sourdough is just you know it's just there for decoration, so you might as well eat it. The sourdough's got a lot of calories in it. Mm. Who needs the sourdough? Yeah, it Toss depends it to the on the side of the plate. Have the stuff with flavour. Even the sad bacon had more flavour than sourdough. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, fewer I, calories. I think it's important to point out as well your dedication to choosing calories wisely. As the other weekend, when I went to a bakery with you, mm, I've seen, I've not witnessed you in this capacity, Josh. In my but we went. We, we went to a bakery. Yeah, and you ate five pastries. Five. Just without stopping, like it's like yeah. you didn't you didn't take it. the time to stop chewing. Well, I stopped to get up and buy two more to pastries two more after pastries. having eaten three of them. But you had what did you have? You had like three savory style croissants and, oh, and two I sweet think there ones. There was a there was a uh, so they do these. It, it is the most amazing bakery probably <laughs> in the Bay. world. Shout uh, out crack and sourdough, crack and sourdough, uh, and uh, they do. I kn- I knew that they did a like a marinated mushroom brioche. So it's like. Puffy pastry with like creamy mushroom deliciousness in the middle, and so soft and moist all the way over. So I got one of those, and then I couldn't not get one of the croissants with a kimchi. It was a kimchi, mm. uh, a spicy kimchi croissant. Mm. Uh, I thought that looked interesting, and then I knew that their jam donuts would be good, so I got those. And then after that, I think I needed to go back for a. You got one of the custard and berry tart. Oh, that's things. right. There was a little custard and berry tart, and there was a Danish. That's right. There was a Danish. Someone <laughs> someone mentioned Danish. a rhubarb Danish, <laughs> and I got a rhubarb Danish and a little custard and berry tart. But it there was, was a, a it was a sight to behold, Josh. You, you, when you I did go, not stop I chewing. Go. Yeah, I, I go. I really, really appreciated the dedication yeah. with which you put away those. It's delicious. Pastries. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and see, then yeah. So for the rest of the day, don't really need to eat much. I mean, you're in a food coma after that. You've just Absolutely. you've just had three thousand calories. Absolutely. So you're asleep for the next eight hours, <laughs> and then you have a bit of a, a bit of a meal, and then the next day you don't eat quite so much. Yeah. Yeah, you, right. make, you make up for it on other days. But let's get on to um, what we're here to talk about, Josh. Mm. We could talk about food until the cows come home. But I think that as a part of our Getting to Know Josh series, right. one part of you, which I don't know anything about and I don't think our listeners know much about unless they've listened to you on some obscure 
aviation mileage <laughs> podcast, of which it's there called, are four listeners. It's called Dots, Miles and Destinations, I think. Right. It's a, a podcast that I've appeared on a couple of times. <laughs> exactly. Hi, guys, yeah. if you're listening. Shout out to Dots dots and Miles. No, no, Dots, Lines and Destinations. Dots, okay. The dot is the city, the line is the flight route between the two cities, and the destination is, I guess, the destination. Wow. Fascinating stuff. Mm. Um, so, Josh has this secret life of being a uh, aviation flight points slash mileage hacker. Is that a how do you describe hacker. yourself? A travel, a travel hacker. hacker. Okay, right. I mean, it rarely comes up that I need to describe myself in this capacity, but a travel hacker, which dovetails nicely with eating five delicious pastries because mm. there's no no better place to eat five delicious pastries than at the, in first class on Singapore Airlines or something. Mm. That's good. Let's get to that. Singapore Airlines, I think, just got number one in the recent list. Did you read that list? Josh? No, those lists are bullshit, but oh. that's fine. Okay. You're allowed to have a list. All right. Well, look, let's... They st- are very good, though. I mean, they'd be right up there. Yeah, Singapore. okay. Yeah, Singapore are up there. Etihad. Qantas had Emirates, a big drop, Qatar. apparently. I mean, Qantas has been a shit airline for decades, and I don't know. It's interesting. Qantas is a... It's one of the, Yeah, I don't know. It's one of those captive market situations where if you have a lot of corporate and government contracts and you have good marketing and you can sort of coast on people's preconceptions or, like, uh, you know, fond memories of you, then... Uh, and people are just really stupid when it comes to travel. I mean, there are a lot of people who will just buy Qantas because they think, well, because they're Australian and they go, I'll just fly Qantas. Yeah. I mean, do you think that they're stupid or do you think that like me, I mean, am I stupid or, I mean, I just can't be stuffed to look too deeply into into these things. And, but how and, deeply is it? You I go to know. Google Flights, where do you want to, where are you going? Wherever, Europe. Yeah, I look okay. for I look for like cheap, and if it's like yeah, anything, anything never cheap. If it's anything that's not China Southern or yeah. China Eastern, yeah. then I'm like, that's got to be all right. Absolutely. And then I click on whatever's the most cost effective. That's great. I I wholeheartedly condone that. That's never going to yield Qantas. Right. Okay. Well, no. Sometimes Qantas is okay. Never. Well, I suppose the the reason any time I would fly a Qantas would be generally because my partner is sort of a. Points, Qantas points person, right? So we're getting yeah. Well, this is the other problem. I think one reason why Qantas does well is that they've got they've trapped Australians into the points into thinking that Qantas points are useful for anything. Mm. There's one thing I'll preempt the points conversation. There's one thing that Qantas points are useful for, which is uh, short haul economy class flights. Where, but only because Qantas rapes you on on the cash price of the ticket. So there are places like, for example, Lord Howe Island from Sydney where, you know, you'll, you'll pay over $1,000 return mm. for a one-and-a-half-hour flight on a propeller plane. Uh, it's absolutely ludicrous. But because the points are uh, a per... If you're, using a, if you're using the points to buy an award seat, I wouldn't, we'll come to this distinction in a moment, not using points uh, as a form of currency, but if you're using them to redeem them on, as, for an award seat, then it's like 4,500 points or something, which is worth about 40 or 50 bucks. Uh, for a flight that would otherwise cost $500. So those little flights or like flying from Adelaide to Port Lincoln or something like that, those are a good use. But if you ever want to actually fly anywhere in the world, Qantas points are totally rubbish because they you need a lot of points to redeem. You need an extraordinary number of points to redeem for business and first class. And you need a staggering amount of money to pay them in made-up fees that they try to hide as if they were airport fees or, you know, some fee that's beyond their control, but are actually completely concocted and randomly invented and totally pulled out of their ass fees. I mean, you try to redeem your Qantas points for things that they 
that that they create the allure to try to draw you in to to keep you as a loyal frequent flyer customer like Emirates business class or something like that the fees that they'll charge you to redeem your hundreds and hundreds of thousands of points on Emirates business class which I could get for 80,000 American Airlines points they'll then charge you well in excess of a thousand dollars on right. top of your points okay so don't go with Qantas points it's kind of slim pickings in Australia, unfortunately. So if you're if you like me, listeners, and you don't understand anything about this points <laughs> game, you can you can probably get a sense that Josh is kind of into this mm. from that rant about Qantas points. But I want to start from the start because I don't know anything. So you can right. give me the you can give me the one hundred one on it. But firstly, so are points and miles synonymous? Yes, basically. For when it comes to an air, an airline program, they are the reason why. Uh, some people say miles instead of points is because there are other points currencies that like your credit card, you know, you know your bank might issue for your credit card that's not necessarily one-to-one. So there are things called American Express Membership Rewards points, right. okay. which is not a mile, it's right. a point. Okay. Um, but in Australia, we tend to call frequent flyer points points, regardless of whether they're with an airline or, a, or somewhere else. And in the States, they tend to call airline miles miles and everything else points. Right. Okay. And okay, so where where did you get this interest in aviation and travel hacking, but also is there something about a personality that sort of moves towards these sorts of things and and likes to participate in these types of schemes and Well, systems? I mean, you need to love flying. Yeah, so where did right. that start? Did I've that... always loved flying. Right. I, I wanted to be a pilot when I was a kid. Right. It wasn't okay. until I was in my teens and I realized that most of what pilots do is reasonably boring and will get increasingly boring as technology gets better that I realized I wanted to do something creative. Um, but I loved, I've I just always loved planes. I've always thought they were incredible. I've always been an aeroplane nerd. Uh, but like not so much in the sense of like, oh, you know, what's the difference between like a Cessna N25 and like, you know, I'm, I'm not super, super into the engineering component of it. I just think it's fucking amazing. And I'm interested in the business side of the, I'm interested in the customer experience side of it. I'm, mm. I think it's super cool. Almost like I, I, you know, in a parallel life, I can imagine being a Disney Imagineer who comes up with roller coaster rides and theme park rides. I think that would be like a cool job. I think it's super cool to, to kind of, challenge yourself to what is the what is the biggest bang for the buck and the most kind of opulent and seamless and and luxurious and pleasant way to do something that's fundamentally unpleasant which is cut hundreds of people around in a steel tube uh and so the ways in which different airlines configure their their seats and the amount of legroom that they're willing to give you and how they're going to show you videos and what they're going to feed you in various classes of service, what how extravagant the beds are going to be, uh, whether or not you're going to get to shower at 34,000 feet, whether or not the lounge is going to have private cabanas where you can get free massages, like, you know, who's off, who's serving you caviar and in what class, uh, you know, is there going to be a door on your suite or mm. not? These are all just, it's just cool. It's a cool industry. It's a weird space. It, and, and the thing that makes it kind of accessibly cool rather than abstractly cool is that there's this whole world of points that enable people who aren't rich to experience things that are tailor-made for very, very rich people. And normally that's not possible. You can't, there's no way to finagle your way onto a super yacht and just have a super yacht for a week. Like you actually need money for that or friends, Yes, you know, and there's no way to have a palace without 
having a palace. But there is a way to live in a palace for a few nights using hotel points. And there is a way to fly like you're an emir of some Middle Eastern country by through points. So how does it work? What's How did you get involved in this? How did you figure out what the best ways to live like a sultan well, I mean, you start with blogs. So there are people. There are good. There are good blogs. Uh, there's. I think. I. I think my gateway guy was a guy called Ben Schlappig, who has a blog called One Mile at a Time. Um, people might be familiar with Frequent Miler. Uh, there are. I mean, you. You know, there are a number of blogs. There's Australian Frequent Flyer uh, for people in Australia, but uh, it just became. Uh, obvious to me that it would be much more fun to fly in in a bed being served amazing food than to be in economy class. And so, and I'm, I, I kind of, I have the sort of brain that enjoys it. Like there's no point in trying to do it if you don't enjoy it, I think. I mean, unless you have, I have a lot of friends who always want, who say that they want to do it, but they don't actually, they want someone else to do it for them so they can fly first class for free, but they don't, but it, 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 it lands for them as enough of a hassle that they can't be bothered. Um, then I have other friends who don't enjoy it but have a, a specific redemption that they want that I can coach them through. So they really want to take the family on a trip to South America, but they can't afford $10,000 in airfares and they know that they don't mind flying economy class, but they just want the points to do that. And then I can help them do that and they can just build a little spreadsheet of what credit card sign-up bonuses they're going to sign up for and you know when they're going to cancel the cards and then they get the points and then they redeem it and there they've got their free $10,000 um, flight. For me... It's more like an ongoing game of Sudoku or an ongoing crossword. Like it's a game of arbitrage, basically, you know, or currency trading or Bitcoin trading or something like that. It's a, it's a, it's a constant lifelong opportunity to acquire points for less than I can redeem them for, which is quite easy to do, and then redeem them for things that I would never otherwise spend money on. Right. And so where does one start? Is it about, is it the credit card signups and things like that? And, you know, I guess we've got to get onto, you've got to fly a certain amount to get, get points as well and get status. No, you, no, that's one way. That's one. I mean, yes, you need to fly to get status if you want status. Um, but uh, you didn't used to, when I started out, uh, you, your credit card spend was also counted towards. And I think with some American carriers, they've reintroduced this now. Yeah. I think American now does this, that they, that loyalty points, which are now a separate it's too arcane to bother explaining but basically you know airlines have status the frequent flyer programs have statuses in them so when you when you first join a frequent flyer program you're a nobody but you're above you know you're above a nobody in their system if something happens to the flight the flight gets cancelled you need to be rebooked you'll be treated better if you're a member of their frequent flyer program than if you're not so the first rule would be just be a member of the frequent flyer program anyway mm. uh, even if you don't have any status and then you will have seen that if you fly 25,000 miles a year or something, you'll be silver and then 50,000 usually gold and then something like 100,000, you'll be uh, platinum. There are different terms for some of these things. American Airlines calls gold platinum and calls platinum executive platinum and things like that. But there are fundamentally three elite tiers from people who for people who fly a lot that make life easier. Uh, usually the midpoint of the tier, which is called gold on programs like Qantas and Virgin, is the one where you actually get real benefits, like you get to use the business class check-in uh, counters, you get to use the the lounge for free, and you start to get those serious perks and you know priority tags on your bag so they come out first, those sorts of 
um, of things. That's separate from redeemable points. Yes. Right? So you don't have to have any status to get redeemable points. I happen to have lifetime gold status with American just so I'll never have to use a regular check-in counter again, uh, which is great. But that doesn't get me any free flights. No. Right? That's just how you're treated when you're when you're flying. The the points, um, how do you get started? I mean, I think what I think what people I think what you need, first thing you need to know is that the airlines of the world are broadly uh, organised into three big alliances, uh, One World, Sky Team, and Star Alliance. And points with any of the airlines inside each alliance are redeemable on any of the airlines in that alliance. There are also other airlines that some uh, some airlines will allow you to redeem their points on at various different rates. There are some weird, funky programs for people who are more experienced that they might like to use, like Alaska Airlines has a has an interesting frequent flyer program. Uh, Air Canada's Aeroplan program is probably the best in the world at the moment and has the largest number of partners that you can redeem all on the same uh, award charts and, and, and whatever. So, so once you understand that there are three alliances, so you're not necessarily just redeeming your airline points or miles on the airline that you're flying, then you also need to understand that airlines have different ways of charging you for your redemptions. Some airlines will have distance-based... Oh, before I say that, you also need to understand that there's such a thing as an award seat. Yes. Right? So there This are, is important. Yes. There are inv- each airline has different fare buckets, right? When, you, if you, when they have a fare sale and you buy, a, you buy a cheap discount, like a Qantas will call it a red e-deal or something like that, it's, there's a class... That's a, that is represented by a code, which is the fare that you're buying. It's not the class of service, not economy, premium economy, business or first. It'll be a little number. It'll be a letter on your ticket, right? N class or M class or something. And those, so all of the seats on the plane are divided into different fare buckets. If you if you walk to the up to the if you go to the airport right now and you just buy a ticket on the next flight to to Melbourne. Almost all of the fare buckets will be sold. That's why you'll be paying $1,000 for that flight instead of $99 for that flight because you're buying an expensive fare bucket. One of the fare buckets that is the cheapest and the quickest to be snapped up is the award class fare bucket. That's a certain number of seats per flight, which may be zero on some popular routes, uh, which is allocated for exclusively for award redemptions. Most airlines will release at least one or two of those seats on every mm. every flight. Sometimes you get more, sometimes there are glitches and they open up a whole <laughs> flight or whatever. Those are the only things you should ever use your points to redeem yes. for. Most airlines try to rip you off by encouraging you to use your frequent flyer points on what looks like you're using it on a flight, but what's actually happening is they're just charging you the face value, the cash value of the seat and they're buying back your frequent flyer points at a terrible price yes. from you. Um, so they'll often say, and you'll see that often when they have things like points plus pay or something like that. Yes. So, you know, you can pay half the amount, and then, but you can use your points for the other amount. If you actually calculate what they're buying the point back off you for, it's, it's rubbish. So you're looking for award seats. And so some airlines uh, will charge you according to a, ba- a distance band, right? So an airline like, Qantas, well, both Qantas and Virgin, airlines like British Airways, uh, will generally just calculate the number of miles that you're flying, and it, uh, there'll be you know ten k 
categories if you're flying, you know, zero to 400 miles for, you know, or between 400 to 1500 or whatever it is. And there'll be a chart that you can look at somewhere online in economy class, business class, first class or whatever. However, there are other airlines that are more clever where you're able to get better value for longer haul flights, which is relevant for Australians since so much of our flying is long haul, which divide the world into a bunch of regions instead. And so then it's just, are you going between region A and region B? So there might, there might be like four regions in the world. And then it's just a question of calculating. It's a much simpler thing. You don't need to know the mileage at all. And they'll often give you, you know, up to six uh, stops, uh, not a stop, but like a, you know, transit, of, which means a stop of less than 24 hours as a general rule. Um, and so you might be able to go from Broken Hill to, um, you know, some little town in Japan and you could fly Broken Hill to Sydney, to Melbourne, to Osaka, to Tokyo, to the little town on Qantas and Japan Airlines. And if you were using Qantas points, you'd be tallying up all of that mileage and it would be quite a lot, quite an expensive redemption. But if you were using another one world carrier like American Airlines, that would just be a South Pacific to Asia Zone 1 award, and it would make no difference. It would be the same amount of same price as Sydney to Tokyo. Right. But you can only stop in each of these places for... Yeah, that's right. I'm just, I'm just giving an example yeah, if you needed to do that can, routing, right? Right. There and that's, are other... and, that's, and that's when you get into mileage extensions for the purpose of status and things like that, right? Well, you don't earn status from award travel. Okay, all right. So all right. You, you could do, <laughs> yes, you could do a mileage run on, so if there was a, there might be sometimes be, if you want to, I think status running is for the birds at this stage. I don't think there's enough of a benefit to status anymore. Yeah. Uh, back in the day, yes, I would actually, like I've done two paid around the world flights <laughs> intentionally just to maximize the mileage to get top status when I was flying a lot in the States, like in the early 2010s and mid 2010s, because in the States, they upgrade you for free. If you have top, well, if you have any status, they upgrade you for free if there's a spare seat. And between New York and Los Angeles, they have really nice planes with like lie flat seats and everything. And it used to be the case um, 10 years ago that... 